Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Iron Blitz, 346. Oscar Lopez in the house. We're going to be talking college football, NFL Week 10, preview Week 11. We're also going to dive into the women's uh, games results from Australia. That would be uh, New South Wales, Queensland, as well as the beginning of uh, Great Iron West in WA. We're also going to be talking everything that's happening at the hub. So if you haven't gone to the hub, go to the hub at facebook.com forward slash grand beauties. Uh, welcome to the podcast powered by monkey knife five.com. So you can head out to uh, monkey knife fight, sign up, get bonuses and promotions. Uh, new players just sign up, get a deposit. You can use code NJF. So players receive a 100% match up to the deposit up to $50. The bonus is a form of a free bet and you get a minimum deposit of 10. If you want to do that, place your bets and you win extra dollars on top of that you strongly recommend checking out monkey knife fight if you want to get away with from the usual lineup on uh, dsf like uh fandu and DraftKings. so use code njf get started today go to monkeyknifefight.com support them Uh, they support our podcast podcast that's what keeps us on the air so check it out head on over to monkeyknifefight.com all right um so we're going to be diving into college football at this point, um, trying to figure out what's going on there. So we should have Holly Custis here in a couple minutes. Um, let's see if we find out here. We got a little bit of – see what I got. I got a notice here on here. Um, should be able to call in. Let's see here. Um, let me get her started here. Should be ready to call in. And there we are. Hopefully she's there. Um, but uh, we'll get started with a college football in the meantime. And we should have Mackenzie Brooks here uh, as you come in uh, onto the show at this point. So, um, yeah. Uh, so if you can if you can hear me, Holly, yeah, I'm on. So I should be on at this point. There should be no issues with it. So if try to call in with that number. should be uh, pretty easy to do um, at that point. All right. Um, should be the same number. I don't think we have any difficulties with the switchboard. We'll find out at this point. Um, let's see here. Hold on for a second. And we're having some technical problems, so I do apologize right now. Let's see here. All right. So we're going to be uh, – Heading into talking college football. So college football is really, really uh, big week this week. Uh, so, you know, given uh, we had a great week on Wednesday of the MAC action slate, we had Pac-10, I mean Pac-12 return cancellations. Florida, Georgia provided more offense than expected, and then the biggest ACC game in Notre Dame history live up to the hype. So, there's a couple games on there. It was number four uh, Notre Dame taking on number one Clemson. That was uh, a really good game, double overtime, 47-40. On a night when uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, was not on the field, Travis uh, Etienne couldn't get going against a uh, good Notre Dame defense. And so uh, 
It was a really, really good game. Uh, uh, Lili, I want to say his name correctly, <laughs> passed for 426 yards, the most ever in Notre Dame with two touchdowns and no interceptions. Notre Dame ultimately stifled uh, Clemson in the second overtime as the Tiger defense that held up for most of the night could not stop Ian um, Book down the stretch and in overtime. So Clemson's incredible win streak of 39 regular season games. That's 29 in the ACC. 14 road games all ended in Notre Dame. So what looked like was another night of uh, really, a, you know, it's going to be Clemson's night, but it did not. So the Irish uh, into Clemson territory, but couldn't get it done. So they win in double overtime. So that was a really good matchup game here. Um, uh, probably the highlight of the whole weekend for this week 10 in college football. So they, they took down the nation's top ranked team. So book finished with 310 passing yards, 64 rushing yards as Clemson largely took away the Irish running game. Um, so uh, a shout out to Karamoya who had two takeaways, one touchdown led the defense, which gave up a record passing total of 439. So it wasn't enough to uh, place obviously to get the win for them. So, um, We'll find out here. Let me uh, let me see if we got uh, Holly back on. Let's see here. Let's find out if, if it worked. Or it shouldn't have any issues. I don't have any issues on there. So I don't know if it's working or not at this point. That's our normal phone number to call in. So shouldn't be a problem. Uh, we'll try that going there. Um but it seems like it's probably not working or working. So um, the other games that we had on there, uh, you can go back. So it was uh, number 15, Coastal Carolina. All right, Coastal Carolina, 23, uh, South, Al- South Alabama, 6. So that's what we were at at this point um, with them. There's no stopping the Jack Clears of Conway, South Carolina, even on a night when the offense didn't put up m- its best performance. Uh, did have two two lost fumbles. Carolina pulled through and beat South Alabama. So the defense more than uh, picked up the slack, putting together one of its best performances of the season, limiting the Jags to 243 yards and two of 14 on third downs. So next for them is Troy, which is coming off the loss to Georgia Southern. Then it was number seven at Texas A&M, 48, South Carolina Gamecocks, three. The Aggies uh, continue to obviously position themselves in a good state for playoffs, taking care of a road win, uh, dominating South Carolina Saturday. So it was really, really a, a good performance by quarterback Kellen Mudd. Um, so really good, a good thing for A&M, 48. And then we had Oregon, number 12, Oregon, 35-14 to 14 on the field there. So uh, let me see if I can get Holly on here because – we're having some difficulties, but I don't know why. So it's weird. Okay, um, find out here. She's saying it's ringing, but it's not coming in very well. Um, that should be the the call-in number. So uh, let me find out here. Hold on for a second, and we'll see what we can get her on. Go from there, see if I can try to maneuver that and try to get her on at this point, Um, see if I can dial her in and get her on um, so we can talk about college football 
pretty exciting week. Like I said, week 10, really, really awesome. So we'll see if, uh, you know, what's going to be week 11 here coming up here. We'll see if uh, maybe my switchboard is a problem this week. I don't know. We're really excited to get everybody going this week, but sometimes we have technical glitches like this and it doesn't pan out as well in, in more ways than one. So, um, it's saying it's ringing twice. Let me see here. Let me see if I can get her on right now. Get her on the line. See if I can dial her in. It's just waiting for her to get on here. Let's see here. So in the meantime, um, we had the Ducks who were balanced on offense, tough in the red zone on defense, largely cruise uh, to an encouraging a good win against Stanford to open the season. Uh, quarterback Tyler Show. Um, completed 17 of 26 passes for 227 and had 85 rushing yards as one of the four Ducks to score on the ground. They entered the season as the Pac-12 favorite and remain in that role for at least another week heading into a game against uh, Washington State, a team that has given the Ducks problems in recent years. Uh, Let me see if I can dial her up here. can dial her in. I'll see if I can call her. Call her up right now and see if I can get her on here. See if there's something going on with the uh, guest call in line uh, on the switchboard. That's the only thing I can think of at this point because my uh, my account is set. So let me see if I can give her a dial. All right, let's see. We'll call Holly Custis here. Let's see here. Call her in. Like I said, apologize for all the uh, delay here. And sometimes this, these things happen. There we go. We're there. See if it comes up. See if we get it on here now. Try to get her on. Hello? Are you here, Holly? Yes. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. I don't know what's going on with the switchboard. So I'm, it might be an issue with the call-in line. It's the only thing I can think oh, of right okay. now. Yeah, that's so okay. That's we happened. got it. <laughs> yeah, I was talking Oregon, um, Oregon, the Oregon matchup here um, against Stanford. That's where I was at. I had sort of, you know, it's a great uh, thing that we have Pac-12 back, as we talked about last week. So this yes. is going to be really good. And then, obviously, Tyler Show really played really well, 17 of 26 for 227. So really showed some good, a good performance by the Ducks. So. We'll see uh, how they go, how they fare against Washington State. Yeah, I mean it's tough, you know, from uh, standpoint of being a Pac-12 fan because it's kind of surreal considering you're just starting your season and everyone else is, uh, well, not everyone, but a, a chunk of the teams out there about halfway through uh, the season. Um, so they had some uh, first game issues, um, and they they are in a new system with a new offensive coordinator. Uh, but that being said, I, w- I was definitely pleased uh, the, the play calling scheme of the offense seems a bit more aggressive, which is great um, because if you've been an Oregon fan or, or you've watched in the last couple of years, that's been one of our big Achilles heels is our uh, offense is pretty conservative. So it was really refreshing to see the quarterback run the ball and be more aggressive and throw the ball down the field more. And, and so that's really exciting. Um, and then basically what, what I took from that first game is that 
Oregon has a lot of talent, a lot of talent everywhere, and uh, a lot of young talent. And so we're going to have probably some, uh, you know, freshman-type mistakes here and there. But as that talent grows together, I think we're going to be really good. I think uh, this year is going to be really interesting. We still have – if we, we have to have everything go perfect and, and win out and and uh, play all our games and have things happen at the top for us to get into the playoffs. But even if that doesn't happen, I think we're going to be really good the next couple of years. I was really uh, pleased uh, with Chuck because uh, he's been sitting behind Herbert for a couple of years um, and waiting his turn. He was not perfect, but I think he overall got more comfortable as the game went along. He's very athletic, um, and I think his confidence was growing. So we got to take that um, into our game this week against Washington State, and every time we play there, weird things happen. Um, and uh, so we'll see what, what happens going forward. But across the board, talent everywhere. Like the, We probably have four running backs that could start anywhere else in the conference. Our receiving core has gotten a lot better. Um, our offensive line that lost every single starter from last year actually played really well. There's just so much talent on the defensive side as well. So I think this is going to be one of those teams that, as you go throughout the year, they're going to get better and better and better because they're so young. So I was excited and happy. Yeah, I think that that's the takeaway, figuring out how they're going to transition to this, uh, you know, the brand-new quarterback. Uh, we'll see if he mm-hmm. can get the monkey off his back and play really well against Washington State. We'll see if that's going to be a factor, you know, or he's going to be a factor in general. Um, Holly, Notre Dame, Clemson, I just talked about it a couple minutes ago. I mean, really good game. No Trevor Lawrence. You know, he was on the sidelines. Uh, yeah, Travis Eiting, who uh, couldn't, get, couldn't get going against uh, a really good Notre Dame defense. Um, so it took two overtimes to, to get this win. But, you know, Clemson's uh, incredible win streak, you know, it's done. So here we are. And I don't know what it'll say about the, like you said, the playoff matchups here, whether this win is going to give Notre Dame some sort of, a, you know, a lift or something. Yeah, you know, I've been pretty harsh on Notre Dame so far this year. This was a definite show-me game, and they showed up. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, Trevor Lawrence wasn't playing. And, yes, that's right. And, and yes, I do think Trevor Lawrence is better than um, uh, than DJ. But I think DJ is still the mm-hmm. – I think he was the number one recruit at quarterback. He's still really good. He still threw for, I think, 439 yards. It wasn't like he was, you know, every other team's backup. You know, this this is a guy that's, that's going to be the next, you know, Trevor Lawrence type guy. So I don't think that's really fair to say that, you know, they would have won with Trevor Lawrence. They might have, but I don't think it's that big of a drop off between the two. I think this was more of, um, you know, Notre Dame's time to try to turn that corner. I think <clears throat> that some of the issues Clemson had early on, uh, Clemson's definitely really talented, but what I've seen so far this year, they've kind of gotten, they're one of those teams that kind of gets away with mistakes because they're so talented. Um, and then when you play a team that's also talented, those mistakes come back and bite you. And I think Notre Dame, um, you know, show that. <clears throat> now for Notre Dame, 
this is a big test for them too because they finally got their big marquee win. Now they're in, you know, the thick of the, the playoff race. They'll likely have to play Clemson again in the title game if everything goes well. Right. So this is this is a team that you can't have a letdown now. They play Boston College next week, and then I think North Carolina the week after. So you have a couple of solid teams coming in after. You cannot afford to drop one of those games. And so we'll see the maturity level of Notre Dame if they can handle those two games. If they can, then their path to the ACC title game is pretty clear. And then by that time, Trevor Lawrence will be back. And then that question um, that everyone had, if Clemson would have won with Trevor, that will come up again. Um, And then we'll know the answer to that. But I think it was a great game. It was fun to watch. Um, You know, I do – I did have some concerns about the crowd rushing after the game. Um, It's it's hard because as a fan and a player, and you get it. Like, I I understand. Like, you're excited. This is your team. You know, they just beat the number one team. I get it. I understand the emotion part of it. But I also think it's it's a terrible look for the university to let thousands of people, number one, like they, I think they were originally spaced out in the stands and then closer to the end of the game, they're all in these couple sections. And when you saw it, it looked like. It doesn't exist. (laughs) Well, you saw it and I looked, I looked in the stands and I was like, wait, like this looks like a normal game. And that's not right. (laughs) Like that. And then they rush the field and there's like thousands of fans. And then, you know, the players are still out there. So think about this, like think about the fact that if somebody uh, on Notre Dame gets sick and they can't go, or one of their games ends up getting canceled down the line because people get sick, you as a fan just threw your team like under the bus with this and you're putting them at risk. You're putting yourselves at risk. And Holly, they believe in God. Just... God, God has this aura <laughs> where it's a safety net. Which, okay, I I totally understand. Like, faith is great. That's totally fine. But at the same time, you can use faith and science together and understand I can celebrate in the stands without trying to put anybody else in danger. And I think that, in my opinion, was a big mistake. Yeah, I agree. I I think there was no reason for that. It's not like they're winning the national championship. I could see maybe they won the national championship. Okay, well, the heat in the moment, right? right. But this is just against Clemson. So uh, hopefully nobody gets sick and nobody gets other people sick, and hopefully that's the case. Um, I, I believe they were social distancing, right? <laughs> no, they were not. That's <laughs> <laughs> just sad. But to your point, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody thought it through in that sense. Uh, everybody was hyped in the moment, I guess. Yeah, what you get, and I get, like, you know, a lot of people are – I think there's a lot of students and you have to, it's really on the university. You have to know that this is a highly like anticipated game. There's a lot of emotion. You have to put more security in place to try to do whatever you can to prevent that from happening. And I just, it didn't seem like they really tried. (laughs) And it's a problem. Yeah. I, I, that one security guard, not going to cut it after all those fans. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> they hired one guy to, <laughs> to keep everybody contained. He's like, not no. <laughs> <laughs> he just ran and quit. He's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> but it was a good game. So ultimately it was a good game. Um, obviously 
hopefully, like I said, nobody gets sick from the incident that happened. And that would be great because uh, that would mean everybody's immune system is pretty good. So that means nobody really gets, you know, hopefully we have, the, like you said, Notre Dame going forward to another week <laughs> after all this. Right. Uh, it doesn't affect them in that regard. Um, what do we say of Ohio State against Rutgers? Um, are we nitpicking here? Or offensive line? Should we just be questioning the offensive line? I mean, a lot of penalties. You know, okay, here's the thing. So, Ohio State is that team that this is what they do consistently, at least the last few years. And that's why I was really excited that they were going to play my team in Oregon this year before COVID hit because they Mm -hmm. tend to roll through the regular season and then they tend to lose like one game that they shouldn't lose, but they, they usually don't play a really hard schedule at least the last couple of years here. Right. So Rutgers is not a terrible team. Um, I think they're kind of in the, in the middle of the pack, but I think what you're seeing, what you saw in that game was what I pointed out game one. And again, sometimes with these teams, their talent is so much better than the team that they're playing that the mistakes that they make in the game don't cost them the game. So right. but when you play a, a team that's better, then those little mistakes that you didn't fix, even though you were winning by 20 or 30, those mistakes later will bite you. And so you notice that they, they struggled. They didn't run the ball very well. And this was something I saw in the first game. And then everyone's like, oh, my God, Ohio State's going to win everything. And I'm like, well, great. They're, they're still really talented, but this is a problem. And if you want to win the championship, you have to figure out how to run the ball. You can't have – I mean, Justin Fields is ridiculous, and he's playing outside his mind. But you have to mm-hmm. give him help. And, you know, speaking from a, a defensive player standpoint, when you play a team that has enough talent to compete with you, that's going. That's when that's going to matter. So when you play somebody who's like an Alabama type level team, they have the horses to run with you. And if you can't run the ball against them, I mean, Justin Fields will still make something happen. But you're, you're playing with one hand tied behind your back, so they're going to have to yeah, solve well, that if they want to win. And, and they'll crush you, like you said. They have the potential to crush you and just chain you down. Yeah, I right. agree with that. But you know, as a junior, I mean. You, you gotta be happy, or he's gotta be happy. He's doing really good so far, uh, especially in that game. He did pretty well. I mean, I think they were up twenty-eight to zero or something like that through the half. So that was really right. impressive. Yeah, um, I think that, uh, in my opinion, because I I've seen Justin Fields play. I I started following him in like when he was coming out of high school. And I really think what's impressed me the most about him is his maturity level has increased because one of my concerns, and it's hard when you're evaluating kids that are like 17, 18, because nobody's that mature at 17, 18, right? Nobody was, right? So I've noticed, though, that he has matured a bit. He still has his confidence and the edge to him that kind of reminds me um, of like a less – like a more edgy version of like Russell Wilson. When Russell's down, it doesn't matter if if he's down like 30 points, he's going to, he has that confidence. And Justin has that too, with maybe a little bit more edge. And um, so I think that's a really good quality for your quarterback to have. 
And I think his decision-making has improved too. So that's really good if you're Justin Fields. I think you're getting better. And, you know, NFL scouts are going to eat that up. If you have a guy who's that talented but is is trying to get better every year he plays, that's somebody that you want. So I think he's increasing his draft stock. And you are hearing now people murmur about should it be Justin or, or Trevor Lawrence first. And that tells you that he's 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 worked really hard. Well, if you're a Jets, if you're a Jets fan, you you got to be happy that you have some options. Maybe he jumps the gun. Yeah. Over to the <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know options are great, but it's what you do with those options. Because how many years did the Browns have the number one pick and nothing happened? So you you still have to pick what, the right person. <laughs> oh my God, the playbook is that what you're saying? The playbook has to be adjusted <laughs> to the set, skill set. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Um. Uh, what do we say of Iowa uh, on why, Iowa versus Baylor? I was really I, I was watching that game, uh, and I mean, there were some mistakes there. Of course, there was a couple picks and, and you know issues, but over overall, uh, you know, it was a pretty good game. They they survive a late comeback attempt, so now they're what five and one in the conference. And that's like first time ever. So uh, you know, Max should be here in about another half hour. She'll be probably stoked. It's Iowa. It's her state. Oh, you mean? Are uh, you are you meaning Iowa State? Iowa State, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think um, you know now you have everyone coming into this year for the Big uh, Twelve. They're like Oklahoma and Texas, and then the people that are really coming to the top, even though those two teams are um, improving, I guess from the earlier part of the year is Oklahoma State and Iowa State. And Iowa State, this is a solid win, and they're climbing the ladder a little bit in the conference. But I really think, you know, Brees Hall is a really good running back that's going to be playing on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And so it's really fun to watch him play. Um, But, you know, let's see, for this game, he had 31 carries, 133 yards. 31 carries is a lot. That tells you he's, you know, the workhorse of the offense. And if you can run the ball, that creates a lot of opportunity other places. Um, so, you know, that's a great win for Iowa State. Yeah, I think it was really impressive. Um, and I'm pretty sure Mackenzie's going to talk about it in a little bit here. Um, 19 Oklahoma just routes Kansas. There's like literally no no issues here. <laughs> just 62 <laughs> to 9 routing of, of Kansas. And then 14 Ohio- Oklahoma State. Uh, Kansas State, that was a really good game. Uh, the Cowboys were without uh, Wal- uh, Wallace, and then they saw uh, Hubbard uh, hobble off the field uh, with only six carries. So there it is. There was, just wasn't enough offense for them. So, uh, But they still kind of kept it together and kept it close. So, Yeah, you know, Oklahoma State, it's interesting because last year – um, going into this year, everyone was talking about their their offense, um, which is understandable because they had a solid end to their year last year with their offense. But really this year, what's carried them is their defense. And then occasionally the offense produces well. But when the offense is not producing well, namely I think it's been because of injuries, um, the defense has been what's kept them in games or even won them games. And I think the defense has won them the game this this last week. I think their defensive front is really strong. They're a disciplined defense. 
Um, I do think Kansas State is uh, improving a bit, um, but I think Oklahoma State, their defense is what's um, carrying them right now. I agree, yeah. Um, what do we say of Florida? Florida against Georgia uh, was really good. Uh, a lot of pressure probably on the coach to try to, you know, get the big win. So he get he got the job done behind, uh, uh, what, Trask, Kyle Trask. So um, familiar thing for Florida this season, I guess. Um, but what do we say against, uh, you know, they get a big win here. I mean, the edge, basically. I, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a big, big win, but they do – you know, put up the points when they needed to put up the points and they get the win. You know, um, so this, this is a really key game for the, the SEC, you know, because right now you have, you have Alabama and then uh, Texas A&M is slowly and kind of um, under the radar going up the ladder. But this game was really key. Um, and I think what you saw is, you know, Basically, uh, the difference between the quarterback play was a big deal, and then the wheels kind of fell off for Georgia after they had some injuries. But, you know, it's interesting. So Kyle Trask is an interesting quarterback because there are times where he's not very consistent, and then but he has this ability to pull something out of nothing at the end of games. He's really good at that. And I think early in this game, he was playing like he normally does at the end of games. And then I think the wheels just kind of fell off for Georgia. And, um, you know, I think Florida has a chance to kind of push uh, Alabama and Texas A&M at the end of the season. So we'll see other the three teams there who uh, ends up producing. Now the quarterback, the quarterback situation there, uh, I think it was, they pulled their quarterback and then they put in another quarterback. I think it was Mathis that came right. in. They didn't. It didn't help them. It didn't help themselves. In other words, because they still had, no. I think, three interceptions. So that was those were costly for them. I think that's the difference there. They just didn't have any offensive spark, yeah. and it really hurt them. Um, should we be talking about Cincinnati at this point, Holly? I mean, the Bearcats are good on defense as usual, but should we be talking about them at this point with uh, with uh, Riddler? Another another good week. Yeah. Uh, one touchdown, one interception. I think 160 over over 160 yards, and then um, they added about over 100 yards on the ground. So uh, I mean, are the Bobcats something we need to be like watching out for now? I I think so. I mean, I think they're extremely talented. I think that um, they're very consistent. Is what I've noticed. Um, I think what's going to be interesting is you might have a Cincinnati that runs the table in their schedule. So it's going to be really interesting to see if like a Cincinnati or like a BYU can run the table and then the committee can look and see if their schedule is strong enough. Um, That's going to be an interesting um, conversation, I think. Um, They still have to play – uh, UCF and, and Tulsa on the schedule, so they're not out of the woods yet. But right now, I think they're they're playing in uh, a very confident manner. So I think we definitely have to keep them on the radar. I mean, they're up, up in that ranking, right? I think they're number six or number eight. Number six, number eight, or no, number number six. six. The number six ranked right now, all the way around. So uh, Riddler, uh, R- I'm sorry, Ritter, and I think Dokes. 
if I'm correct. I wrote my notes. Do- Ritter and Dokes, uh, pretty yeah. good combination. They're really good. And I think Dokes had over 180 yards also on the ground with the TD. So it, they keep right. looking really good. They could, you know, like you said, potentially get into that mix and conversation at that point. Um, what do we say of Michigan? Uh, Indiana, we, we talked about it with Mac last week about uh, is Michigan going to, like, you know, bounce back or are they gonna, or Indiana's going to, you know, hand them the loss and here we are. The losers, you know, they just hand them the loss. Big victory for them. You know, the interesting thing about Michigan is I almost feel like they can't get out of their own way. I feel like they mm-hmm. have this obsession with Ohio State to the point where – they, I don't know what their identity is, and I think that's a problem. And if you look at the difference between Michigan and Indiana, this is not this is not a talent gap. It's an identity gap. Indiana is who they are. They're very good on defense. Their their quarterback is extremely scrappy. He's not very consistent in an intermediate game, but every once in a while he's going to burn you deep, right? And he's athletic enough to move out of the pocket. That's who Indiana is. They know who they are, and they take that and they they do well with it. Michigan, I don't think they know who they are. And it's really kind of surprising because I think Harbaugh, you know, when he was with, like, the Niners, was one of my favorite NFL coaches I've seen because he was very good at giving a team an identity. So I almost feel like right now maybe the pressure has kind of gotten to him a little bit. Because I, I'm surprised that a, that a team under him doesn't know who they are. And so we'll learn a lot the rest of the season. But I've heard some rumors that he might want to move on from Michigan. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, you know, that's what usually what happens when you don't play well is, is the rumors come out. So we'll see what happens. But I think this actually says a lot um, about Indiana, too. Like, that's a huge win for them. And so, you know, at this point, I think Indiana could at least make a bowl game um, and, and make some noise. And that's huge for them, considering usually they're just known as a basketball school. But right now, their, yeah. their football team, you know, has some fight to them. I mean, uh, the Wolverines are a mess on the secondary. They're also not really good offensively right now. I mean, they've just done – they've given up too many yards. So they're giving up too much yards. There's no real resistance. And, uh, you know, Indiana took advantage of that, especially I think it was over 400 yards, if I'm correct on that. It was like 400, over 400 yards um, that the um, Michigan defense surrendered. So that's a big issue. So, yeah, Hardball's got some things to work on to get that, uh, you know, corrected. Um, USC, uh, I guess guess USC-Arizona, was that – did that happen at all? I'm trying to write down the schedule, and I I thought it was – uh, yeah. It was, it was early uh, game, right? USC, early game. Yeah, USC beat Arizona State 28-27. to 27, And mm-hmm. I don't really, like, understand because like, I was watching it, and Arizona State was up a couple scores, and then I turned around mm-hmm. to follow up on it, and then USC won. And, you know, it's very interesting because I really think Arizona State is a team that I really think is turning the corner, and even though they lost this game, Herm Edwards is really recruiting well there, and I think that they're going to be good in a, um, if not this year, in a couple years. <clears throat> so, but it's a big win for USC. 
and actually for the, the conference as well, um, you know, because USC always wants to be USC and, and be relevant, and it's good for the conference when they are relevant. So I think it's a it's a good win for USC, but I don't think I don't think they were that consistent. I think they kind of pushed at the end to get the win. So I think USC is going to have to kind of uh, work on some of the details to get more consistent, but still a good win. All right. Uh, should we even like get hyped on the that the Liberty that Liberty beat Virginia Tech? I mean, this is should I mean it should it be, should we make it a big deal at this point? Because they beat uh, Virginia I, Tech, or is it just one of these surprise games? And the Hokies were just—I actually think it's a big. It is a big deal. I mean, Virginia Tech is not a terrible team, I, and then Liberty is like people are like, where where did they come from? You know, and they have um, played really solid to this point, um, and they're a team that I think. People are looking at like, wow, like what are what is happening at this program? Um, but they do. Let's see. At the end of their um, at the end of their schedule, they play CCU, so that should be so uh, Coastal Carolina. So that should be a good mm-hmm. game as well between two teams that are up and coming. And people are like, oh, where do these people come from? So um, you know, anytime we can have like these, these smaller programs start to. Uh, make a, a impression. I think it's really good for the game. So yeah, it's a great win for them. All right. So I know Louise Bean's hyped on BYU. Are you hyped on BYU? I think that BYU is extremely solid and consistent. I think the thing that might bite them is that their schedule's been pretty easy, um, mm-hmm. but it's not their fault because BYU is a team that when everybody was canceling their season, they were like, oh, my gosh, so they just grabbed anybody and everybody they can schedule games with to fill their schedule. And what's happened is I don't think that their schedule ended up being as strong. And then their game against Army got postponed. That would have been a solid game. Uh, You know, I'd say the most solid win they have right now is the last game uh, Boise State. But that's so hard because Boise State is also very new into their season. So the judge Boise State yet, um, and then um, so I think that BYU is a good team, but I'm wondering how their their schedule is going to be looked at by the committee. I do really think um, that they're um, you know a really good team. I think Wilson, um, you know, because I've been. Looking for quarterbacks as a 49ers team, um, as a 49ers fan, right? So I've been looking at uh, some of these guys that I think might be around when we pick. And, um, well, that's a, another long conversation, but I'm just – at least my eyes are like, I'm looking. I don't know if they're looking, but I'm looking. And, you know, I think that uh, uh, Wilson reminds me kind of of a scrappy Steve Young you know, yeah. uh, maybe a, a right-handed Steve Young. Just in, in, in the way that he plays, he's very scrappy. And I know people um, were comparing him to people like Johnny Menzel and stuff, and I don't think that's a fair comparison because Johnny Menzel was kind of a jerk. I don't think Wilson's a yeah. jerk. I think he's just very scrappy. Um, so I think um, his stock is rising, you know, with the NFL and – um, and I think they're probably going to win their last two games and go undefeated. I don't know if that Army game is going to get rescheduled or not, 
So I think they're going to run the table in the regular season. It's just going to be what does the committee look at and is their schedule strong enough to be considered in the playoffs? I agree. Um, last game we got here, Miami, number 11 against NC State, and NC State almost gets that this win here. So they, they were, uh, I think Miami was trailing 41-31 early in the fourth before they kind of woke up because they had a bunch of just mistakes that they were doing. You know, um, speaking of quarterbacks, I really like the Eric King. Like, I just like the way that he carries himself. I like he's just he just refuses to lose, and he's extremely athletic. Um, and so I think for Miami, it's one of those games, and every good team will have one or two of these types of games a year where they kind of fall asleep a little bit and then the good teams will be able to wake up and get it done. And at the end of the day, nobody's going to remember that you fell asleep as long as you, as long as you want. I think NC state gave, gave them a fight. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, Miami got a key turnover late and that kind of sealed it, I think. And, but uh, it was a strong win for Miami. Any games we got to watch out for this week for week 11 as we get into it um, for this uh, weekend? Yeah, let's see. I think that uh, – let me pull up the schedule. I think the Notre Dame-Boston College game is going to be interesting because Boston College is still a solid team. Notre Dame's coming off their signature win of the year so far. Is Notre Dame going to come out flat? Or are they going to be mature and take care of business? So that's that's a key game. Um, let's see. I think that the, the Wisconsin-Michigan game is going to be a key game. You know, Wisconsin had that really hot start uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then they kind of weren't able to play because of COVID stuff. And so, you know, are they going to kind of fall off because they've had a break, or are they going to come out, uh, the way that they were the first game. We don't really know who Wisconsin is yet. And then is Michigan going to bounce back, and or are they just going to fall off? Um, so that's a key one. Um, we had some postponements in the SEC, you know, talking about the Notre Dame crowd. There's a reason why that's irritating. Because, look, you have Alabama, LSU postponed, Texas A&M and Tennessee postponed, Auburn and Mississippi State postponed. <laughs> Like this is a real deal, and we have to be we have to be realistic in that this is a time of year that people normally get sick. Like you get a cold or you get the flu, this is a normal right. time of year that that happens. So you have to be more diligent, and it doesn't mean that you can't you won't you know it doesn't mean that you can't get it if you're like perfect at all you know the uh, parameters of wearing masks. Right they're not going to get it. You you. <laughs> you could be absolutely perfect and still get it, but what you can do is try to mitigate the risk by trying to be responsible, you know. And that's the but thing. They don't like, in that, all yeah. that, that dome <laughs> out there, they don't believe it, I guess. They got a higher call. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I won't go too far deep into that. I will just say, like, I just feel like no matter what your viewpoint is on anything, sure. Um, political or faith-based, you have to try to use common sense because at the end of the day, that's all you can do. It's it's like, do you wear a seatbelt when you drive? Yeah. 
It doesn't mean it's going to save you every day, but if it, you do get in an accident, it's definitely going to help you not fly out the windshield, you know? So That's it's simple true. stuff. And true. so I think, I think, um, and some of those matchups would have been really good matchups. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The other one that I was looking at is um, Indiana, Michigan State. Uh, Michigan State is not very consistent, but I think they have some talent. And Indiana, like, I'm, I'm like, really impressed by their run, so I want to see how far they can push this, if they can, if they can beat a, a Michigan State on the road. So that's a key game. Um, and then I also think uh, Miami-Virginia Tech is an, an intriguing game as well. So we have some good matchups, but some of them got knocked off because of COVID. So uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, and USC is at Arizona. But I don't know if they'll Yeah, that's the that's the other dynamic that's really interesting as a college football fan is that you know the SEC was like they were playing their whole schedule, they weren't going to cancel anything, but they they did um, I think put in basically uh, like a flex week in their schedule so they can reschedule some of these games. So that flex week is now like full. So some of these games might not actually get rescheduled. And then now you're looking at the back end of the college football playoff committee and all. Um, now it's going to be crazy. You're going to have, because I'm, I'm just assuming that the SEC will have a couple more cancellations at least. You may have to look at a team that's like 10 and 0 versus 9 and 0 versus 7 and 0 versus like 6 and 0, you know, stuff like that. So that's going to be really hard. That's going to be really hard for them to choose at the end of the year. I agree with that. Um, so we got the mix. So we'll get the lowdown in week uh, 11 as we come in next week. But th- those are some of the key games that we should be kind of watching this weekend. Um, so you get everything at the hub. You can go right there now, uh, get the recaps for week 10 at the hub from all the major outlets uh, in the media. So go right there to, at the hub at facebook.com forward slash grand beauties. I'll remind you guys, um, monkeyknifefight.com, our sponsor for the podcast, keeps us alive here to bring you awareness to women's American football. So check it out. You can go to the site right now, place the bet, and win a few extra dollars by receiving a $100 match on uh, 100% match on your deposit, up to $50. Uh, you get a bonus in a form of a free bet, so you can do a minimum of $10, and they'll match that up as well. Uh, so we strongly recommend. Check it out, Monkey Knife Fight, if you want to get away from the usual lineup building that is on DSF, which is FanDuel or DraftKings. So use code NJF and get started today at monkeyknifefight.com. All right, uh, Holly, um, I, I don't want to just – I don't want to poke bad things on it, but, you know, the Thursday night game, sort of you said, it, it, you know, the Niners are just kind of a mass unit right now, unfortunately. So um, Green Bay really took advantage of some of that. Yeah, it's not even a mass unit anymore. <laughs> this game was like so – we are already going into the game matching it. Then we lost, I think it was like three or four additional players to the COVID list. And then it was just not even, it was not even fair. You know, like we literally had, um, so Richie James um, actually had a, a really good game. He, he had like 184 yards receiving. He's a guy that never gets on the field normally. He just is the return guy. And then, then we had other people that literally got signed off the street at receiver 
or were on the practice squad and never really played. And the injuries just like I think it was it was not oh, even. There was a Twitter <laughs> joke that that the coach should have called San Jose State and should have brought in the San Jose State State Spartans to substitute. Cause <laughs> yeah, maybe. I I don't know maybe because but then the good news I guess is that it was a Thursday Thursday night game right so you do get an extra yeah. couple of days rest before our next game against the Saints and then some, those um, COVID players I think oh, I think all of them except for one player have come off that list so we should get those people back we might get another one or two people um, off the injury list as well so. I don't know. Like this team, this this season's been such a roller coaster. I would not be surprised if somehow we beat the Saints. Um, and then I don't know though. I, I just think we're headed towards a like a seven and nine, eight and eight type year where we're not terrible, but we're we might back into the playoffs if they pick seven or eight it's teams in each conference. You wish you were in the N and the NFC East. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and, like, no, because it's a terrible division. But at the same time, you know, we're at this point where um, I keep thinking about – so last year we went to the Super Bowl. But the year before, we were – I think we won, like, three games because we had a lot of injuries, different types of injuries, but we had some key injuries. And then what happened is the following draft, we got a lot of draft capital, and we used that well, and then we came back and became really good. So I'm hoping maybe that's what's happening. We'll draft higher than we probably should have before. We'll get more draft capital. Uh, but we are going to have to make decisions in the off season with some of the um, players that we have and if we want to continue or we need to, to move on from them. So I do think this is an opportunity to see what we have in the younger guys and see, like, oh, it it does Nick Mullins have what it takes to be a starter or is he just going to be a backup? Because right now I, I can't really, I can't really it's your um, ne- judge. It's your next number called. It's the next man up. It's really where you're yeah. at now. <laughs> well, squad, next at this man point, up. yeah. At this point, I can't really judge him off of the last game because it's, he he doesn't have anybody to throw to, or like it's just we didn't have anybody, right? So, but as people right. start coming back and and they will start trickling in. What does he do with that? Is he able to, you know, be more consistent? Because that's my my knock against him is he has he has the skill set to fit this offense, but he's not consistent enough. He's either really really good, or he struggles. So um, we need more consistency out of him. But you know, for the Packers, I'm sure like when they heard that all these people are on the COVID list, they're like, oh shoot, okay, we like they knew from the jump that. It was not going to be even fair, and uh, I, I think they they throwing practice bombs like there was no tomorrow, and I mean it was right. Yeah, you know, like you said, it was a no brainer for them, right? Like you, that's your point. Yeah, <laughs> they coming in, they're like, right. okay, I'm sure. Up. Yeah, I'm sure it felt good to them because we we basically yeah. um, destroyed them two times last year. So for them, they're probably like, yeah, because in a, a playoff game we played against them. Uh, all of the people that we had offensively that started that game, none of them were in this game. It was literally a completely different team. <laughs> so for them, they're probably like, yeah, look at us go. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's one of those things they, they that – They don't have a really good defense. 
Packers no. are struggling on defense. And, and yeah, offensively, they're okay, but you put pressure on that offense, you can get to Rodgers, as we've seen with other yeah. teams. Yeah, and we did, you know, last year our defense line was amazing at uh, getting pressure. And even, um, you know, with the, I, I guess, game two or three, we we probably still had some decent pressure, but we didn't have we don't have the the line that we did last year, so I knew that would be a problem. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things that all you can do is the best you can do. So I I think that's where Shanahan is. Like they're literally making twelve roster moves a week just to fill the roster. So it is what it is at this point. Yeah, and I, I and I'm, unfortunately they're not way out of it because Arizona lost. Uh, the Rams had lost the week before to Miami. Um, so they're still in the mix, and then Seattle loses. So they didn't, you know, they're, I think four and five, right? So everybody's five and three yeah. above them. It's just one game right. out. So to your point, yeah. they heal up, they get some people back. Uh, they're still in the mix. So it's not like the right. NFC East. We're not completely where everybody's out. A mess. No. Yeah. Um, what do we say of Tom Brady? Um, we talked about the NFC South not being the AFC East, right? And he's starting to yeah. figure figure that out really quick. Well, you know what's really interesting is that I don't know. I, I feel like uh, Tampa Bay is is kind of struggling with their identity uh, offensively at times as well. Because look at the um, receivers that they have. They have uh, Godwin. They have Evans. Um, you know, you still have Gronk, even though he's he's still doing Gronk things, or he's great, but only on the but he's only on the field like twenty percent of the time. And then you have Brown, you know, who actually did pretty well. But I think what's happening is they went away from the run. I don't know why. Like the, you yeah. need to run the ball, and then everything else opens at deep. But it's almost like they got really excited. They have all these receivers, and that created problems. And then. And and then um, the Saints, you know, started bringing pressure, and then and then Brady didn't make the best decisions, and then there was uh, one pick that I think really had to do with the communication between uh, Brady and Brown, but that's to be expected when you have somebody that hasn't played in a minute. So, but at the same time, I really think the difference in this game is really that sometimes when you have teams that are really good, sometimes it's a matter of do they schematically match up well? And this was a good matchup for the Saints. And then what the Bucks do well is they, they bring a lot of pressure with their defensive line. The way that you defeat that pressure is you either have a quarterback that gets the ball out quickly, you, you use a lot of screens or a lot of draws uh, to use that pressure and that momentum against that defense. So what does Drew Brees do really well? He gets the ball out very quickly. That's what he does. And so you have the same strength against the, the Bucks' weakness, and that was definitely apparent, especially early in the game, that the defensive mm-hmm. line of Tampa Bay was frustrated because they know most games they can create havoc, and they have been creating havoc. But against Drew Brees, it doesn't matter because they couldn't get there in time. And what does Drew Brees want to do? Dump it off, dump it off, dump it off, dump it off. And that actually works very well against the aggressive defense. So I think that was a was a bad matchup for Tampa Bay. 
And then on the other side, I think they gave up on their run too early, and then then they got too far behind, and then and then mistakes were made and the wheels fell off. I think I think Tampa Bay is still a really good team, but I think you can tell that they're still trying to figure out the identity in their pieces. Where the Saints, even though they've been kind of up and down this year, the Saints know who they are, and that's to their that was to their advantage in this game. All right, so you guys can join us on Thursday night and Monday night on Twitter at Great Iron Beauty. We're dissecting every uh, Thursday night, Monday night game there. You can join the fun on Twitter at Great Iron Beauty. Um, Holly, the Jets didn't want to win. <laughs> um, <laughs> they had a win, and they didn't want to win. Uh, everybody on Twitter was going just nuts, especially in, in New York. They were like, what the hell is this? We're beating the Patriots. They were getting all happy, <laughs> and then all of a sudden at the end, it was like, "We're oh, no, we're going to go to overtime. Oh, my God, no, no overtime. And then we get a field goal, and, and uh, New England pulls it off. This was a big win for the Patriots because they've had a rough year, um, you know, and I think Cam Newton really wanted – he hasn't played well the last couple games, so I think he really wanted to – come out and and play well. And he he played a lot better than he has the previous couple games. And so I think this was a big deal for the Patriots. I think that the Jets, you know, it's one of those things where when you're a fan of a team that is, um, you know, 0-9 now. Should we win the game and get Trevor Lawrence? Or should we beat the Patriots and not worry about that right now? I think that was like last week. So I, you know, it's one of those things that, um, as a fan or like media people, um, or outsiders, you know, we can debate all day long about what's better for the team, but the players on the field, they want to win, you know, cause they're playing for their jobs at the end of the day. They don't want like, no, there's no, I don't think any player ever paints. What I think happens is if you're bad, you know, they, they might be able to put you in not the best positions. Like if they if they pull out somebody um, that's a veteran and they put in like a younger player, you know, they might do some of that to see what they have in the younger player. Um, but I don't think anybody ever wants to think um, that's on the field. But as a fan, you can debate all day about, gosh, what's better for my team? And there are moments where you're like, wait, I want to beat the Patriots, but I want Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Yeah, but I guess to the Jets, like, I feel like I don't think it, like one win is going to really, I think one win would still get you Trevor Lawrence at this point. Um, I think that, um, I don't know, I think this was a bigger deal for the Patriots because they really needed to get their confidence back, you know. So I think the Patriots are also really struggling um, uh, in a, like a different way from like the, the Niners where, um they don't. They're they're having to kind of rebuild their identity as well, and so I think the Patriots are going to make a lot of off-season moves and um, kind of regroup a little bit. But in the meantime, this is a big deal for them, and this is a big deal for Cam. Yeah, I think it was more of a big deal for them, as you're saying, the Patriots, because if they lose here, this is this is huge, and then you got to you got to start questioning Newton's capabilities which a lot of people right. are starting to question on Twitter. Like, okay, is he over the hill? Does he really have it? Uh, on the Jets, nobody really cared. I think everybody's more shocked that Flacco did pretty well <laughs> for a couple quarters. <laughs> <laughs> I 
everybody's like, oh, my God, Joe Flacco's awesome. And uh, so then all of a sudden he throws the interception. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's just horrible, right? They threw him right under the bus <laughs> after the interception. <laughs> so you never – these Jets fans are never that great. I mean, I was on Twitter with Connie. Connie was tweeting also. Connie, big-time uh, Jets fan. And she was like, just like, oh, my God, this is going to go great if we beat the Patriots. And then all of a sudden things change, and she's like, oh, same old, same old. <laughs> it's like literally right. what it was. <laughs> Most funny. Um, but we got, you know, they, they did get the win. They stay in contention. Miami against Arizona. Uh, should we be, I, I called it last week and I said it the week before, is Miami our sleeper in that division right now, especially with, with now that Tua's got two big wins under his belt? They beat the Rams and now they take care of the Cardinals. I think the interesting thing about Miami is that I know that everyone is, is excited about Tua and I, and I understand that. But I think Miami, I think their defense is actually really good. And I think what I'm really impressed with is Brian Flores has made really smart decisions defensively. And I know early in the year they completely destroyed my Niners. And it was terrible because we were like, we should beat Miami. There's, there's no reason we're losing to them. And then no reason we're losing it terribly. But now looking back, <laughs> well, now looking back, what I realized is all Miami did was take advantage of a weakness that they knew that we had, which in that game was that we had one corner out of the two spots that were decent, and we literally brought a guy off the street. And so what they did is Ryan Fitzpatrick at the time just dropped back, and he threw wherever that guy was. And they burned us, like, I don't know, three or four times on that before you eventually threw in somebody else. But by that time, it was too late. And so now I'm watching them play uh, the Rams. I'm watching them play the Cardinals. And, and I'm realizing they're creating turnovers all over the place. I think their defense is really the story of the year. And Tua is like the gravy on top, you know, because I don't – so Tua looked a bit better this game. The first game I don't think he really did a whole lot, but he's getting more comfortable, which is good. But I think their defense has – them in contention to get into the playoffs. Uh, I don't know how far they could go, but I think that they they are a sleeper at this point, frankly, because of their defense, and Brian Flores has them bleeding in themselves. So this is, a, in my opinion, um, a coach of the year type um, uh, season for Brian Flores if, he, if they're able to continue at the trade. Do you feel like at this point the, that division with the uh... New England not playing so hot. The Bills literally are playing pretty decent ball. The Jets are atrocious. They could compete for the division. I mean, it really boils down to that, like you said, with with that defense they have. And if Tua gets rolling more comfortable, we could see Miami literally, uh, Miami-Buffalo, basically. Yeah, I think so. I think they could compete for the division or – uh, a, um, a wild card spot, you know, considering they're taking um, seven teams in each conference. But, you know, I understand why everyone's excited about Tua, but I, I think there needs to be more recognition about what they're doing on defense. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that that's the issue that they got to have. So uh, I'm going to wait for Mackenzie here to she'll be showing up here in a couple minutes. But um, if you got to go, uh, we got to go, and then we'll chime in next week hopefully and we'll talk college football week 11 um we'll see okay. how the game's been out there okay all right sounds good 
Thanks, Holly, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch you here next week if you can make it. All right. Thank you. All right, guys. Uh, that was Holly Custis breaking it down. College football week 10. Uh, kind of interesting to get into week 11 uh, as we hopefully we'll get into that next week in terms of the, you know, the playoff, the college football structure, how that's going to turn out. Uh, who's going to be in the, in the front running as to her point before, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams with like four and oh, six and oh, some teams are probably going to be like four and one, five and one because of the COVID restrictions, because of the postponement of certain games. These um, college games are going to be crucial in terms of how the AP, how the coaches poll, and ultimately how the college uh, playoff system and the committee are going to make a decision about, who gets into the playoffs and who gets into the January bowl games uh, really, really crucial in that regard in terms of who's going to get into it and who's not. So we're just talking about breaking down uh, Thursday night, Monday night, and Sunday night. So you have uh, some key takeaways from week nine. Obviously, Josh Allen outshines uh, Russell Wilson. Tua, as we talked about right now, with Miami uh, taking on Arizona. Uh, he's been really good the last two weeks, beating the Rams and then obviously taking care of uh, the Cardinals. And the Steelers kind of survive a little game there. Plus the Ravens get back on track. The Bears continue to implode. Uh, the Vikings, uh, good win for them. Lions lay down and die. The MVP uh, opens up. The race opens up in the MVP race. So a lot of things to consider. But the one thing that we got to look at is Josh Allen in Buffalo, I think at the beginning of the year, we all thought Josh Allen, you know, the Bills drafted him in part because of his ability to play and bad weather uh, with those rain win games um, all season. So he's done really well there. So we will see how he does it. But we're talking about the division at this point, given Cam Newton's win on Monday night against um, the Jets. That was kind of like, okay, are they, uh, the Patriots going to improve at this point or they're not? They really had no real offense. They, they were playing back and forth with the Jets. So uh, in terms of Cal Al, um, Josh Allen against the Seahawks, uh, the Seahawks really did a, a pretty decent job of trying to get to him, just could not get to him. So the gap in quarterback play is it was just enormous, right? Uh, Allen simply outclassing Russell Wilson that game. And it's very not very traditional that that happens. So Allen will have his ups and downs, but – Given his his performance at this point, uh, he did a good job. He uh, the Seahawks, and there you have a big win by Buffalo against uh, Seattle. Seattle comes down, puts a crunch mode in terms of the NFC West. Let's bring in uh, the salty one, Mackenzie Brooks here in the house. Mackenzie, how's it going? Oh, I'm salty as usual, Oscar. How you doing? Salty, salty. Look at this. Uh, do we? I'm just talking Russell Wilson against Josh Allen right now. Uh, are we giving him the MVP as we mentioned at the beginning of the year, just because he beat Russell Wilson, or are we going to hold back still another couple weeks? I almost think we have to. I almost think we have to give it to him now. Like, I don't. It's hard to say because you know football changes week to week. I mean, it literally does. I mean, hell, we could take. The Pittsburgh Steelers, for example, who should not have won that game against Dallas. And if I'm if I'm Jerry Jones oh, at this point, Kenzie, 
Are you serious? Steelers what? are awesome. Yes. People in Steeltown will no, tell you that. Look, look, Dallas. No, look, Dallas had them on their heels the entire damn game. And if 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 Mike McCarthy goes for it on fourth and inches, and we get the first down as playing, then we score. That's seven yeah. more points that we're not down. You know, that, yeah. that's that's what I'm talking about in terms of they shouldn't have won that game. I mean, the Steelers are your, going to be the Steelers, so they came back and they do what they do. Play. Dallas was uh, somewhat impressive. We all thought coming into this game that they were going to get their butts whipped and blown out, right? That was the theory. Coming into this game, oh, yeah. everybody thought, you know, Dallas was not going to match up. They were not going to have a prayer, and they this was different. And I think now we're questioning whether Pittsburgh's got a soft schedule, right? Because they haven't really been, like, blowing everybody out. They've been winning traditionally. Um, we're looking at Miami Dolphins of 72, basically. That's what we're looking at for them right now. Close games, they get by. Yeah, essentially. And now they're, they're going to try to get make the playoffs, so – uh, to your point, yeah, Dallas had that opportunity to really put that one loss on Pittsburgh. You just blow it down the damn drain, fourth and inches, and you don't go for it. I mean, like, really? Like, I get you want to try to play, you know, safely or whatever to keep your lead, but you also have to make and take chances. I mean, there was another game that Mark McCarthy made the same damn decision, and that's another game that we literally were – like literally have the lead and then oh we don't go for it one time when it when we needed it early and now we're we're two and six, two and seven. So oh, I'm irritated. You gotta be happy for Cowboy Nation because that's imp- uh, kind of like an uplifting positive considering what you were doing before. But Pittsburgh's offense was also kind of sluggish. It's just two weeks in a row now that they're they have not been dialed in. So, you know, there, there was opportunity, like you said, for the Cowboys to really turn this game around, put, it up, put a win in it, put a win and put themselves literally ahead in that division. Yeah, well, and, you know, and like, I, like I, I keep telling people, you know, the Eagles may be on top right now, but that tie is going to kill them when it comes to an actual playoff spot. That, that tie, agree. having that tie on their record is not going to do them any good, but being able to have maybe, maybe get into the wild card spot. Mac, uh, Mac, the positives on, in Dallas right now, if we look at the, both games, they could have beaten Pittsburgh, but you've got to have positives here. Gilbert uh, rises out after all the quarterback issues you had. This kid, I think, uh, his opportunity is here. If he sticks to it, plays, he's played two weeks pretty decent ball. He elevates his game week to week. If he gets it to another level, uh, I don't even think we are talking about Dak Prescott for 12 months uh, in terms of that. I mean, I don't think they're gonna, he's going to take his job. But we might he might be playing for the real backup, which is the second second quarterback. You know, it's it's funny, and I'm I'm sorry that we kind of derailed off of the the Bills topic, but I was just talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago that um, Garrett Gilbert, you know, he came from the XFL. You know, people for some reason seem to think if you're not you know, an NFL player or a college player, like your talent doesn't really matter, which is incorrect. Garrett Gilbert is a pretty decent quarterback, even for having played in the XFL. And I think I have to agree with you. At, at this point, you know, once once Dak is able to start 
you know, start moving again and, and start his rehab after, you know, his gruesome injury and, and surgery. I think that the QB2 position is going to be wide open. And, I, I mean, I think it's going to be between Andy Dalton and Garrett Gilbert. Ben, ben DiNucci kind of disappointed me. I was really, I was really looking forward to Danucci time, you know, two weeks ago, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't perform, and I was kind of, kind of upset about it. I think he's hungry. If you really put yourself in perspective, right? He's XFL, no longer there. Uh, the XFL returns in two, in a year and a half ago. He he gets his break here in Dallas with a really good marquee uh, franchise, right? It's not like Jacksonville or out in the boonies or anywhere else. So he can literally right. make something happen in, for his career is what I mean. He can really step up his game. And this division is kind of lousy. All the teams are right now are kind of mediocre. So if he, could, if he can get going and perform at a high level with his receivers, with Gallup and Cooper, and start getting some chemistry, uh, you could probably see uh, him elevate to another level. And that's what the, that's what the Cowboys are going to need in, in, in order for them to stand out in this division and maybe – uh, push a gap between everybody else. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, is you know, I saw a lot of stuff on Facebook and social medias and everything that, you know, basically trying to bash Garrett Gilbert. And at the same time, I'm like, this is his first NFL game, like his first game start ever. He's the fourth-string quarterback on what's known to be America's team. And right now we're definitely not America's team. I don't care – how much of a diehard I am or anybody else's, if y'all are going to sit there and really tell me that the Dallas Cowboys are actually America's team right now. I mean, last time I checked, America's team represents itself in a, in a manner and always has a competitive game. We've had two competitive games and a third one just this past Sunday. So people need to realize, like, we're still trying to find chemistry with that, with a second-string quarterback. And I just saw today that they that they named Andy Dalton the starting quarterback for this week, which I think is a stupid idea. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now, uh, McCarthy's not uh, Cowboy Nation's favorite guy right now. There are a lot of a lot of oh, no. Cowboy fans. No, not at all. Same sentiment like you. It's like, why would you change it if this kid give the kid the opportunity? What do you got to lose? The division's kind of a mess, anyways. You're still in the mix. What's one week gonna do for you? You know what I mean? What's another week gonna? make an an issue with it but um at this point i think pittsburgh is probably more scared than anything for that for that game uh in terms of what happened to them uh i really think uh pittsburgh nation's probably rethinking about okay what what are we doing here because if you if you get dallas to get really close and almost you know beat you there's issues there um some of the impressive games that we had on the weekend as i talked to holly right now before that was obviously uh uh Tua really taking care of business, but to her point, I think Miami D is really the, where we need to like really assess because I think the defense in Miami has really elevated to another level, and given his capabilities, it's just a matter of writing it out, and I think against the Rams and, and the Cardinals, the Niners in the West, you would think the three, the three teams out West would have been a, a, a kind of like a wins in other words all those three teams should have gotten wins against Miami and they all lost you know I tend to agree with Holly on on some aspects of it you know the offense itself was already pretty damn good with Tannehill or with uh Fitzpatrick excuse me um and then you just and then you 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 know you add to a as the starting quarterback 
and, it, and I like I understand why they did it. Like, okay, you know, Fitzpatrick has been out here balling for the past year or two, you know, having been traded teams, ending up on Miami, and then just absolutely balling out this entire se- you know so far this entire season and uh, to the end of last season, and then Tua gets drafted, you know, first round uh, first round draft pick, you know, it has a you know doesn't get a pro day, doesn't you know really have much of the um, combine stuff because of, you know, the hip surgery and everything. And then he comes out and they name him the starting quarterback. And now he's, now he's balling essentially just like Fitzpatrick. And yet Dolphins nation doesn't like that. And I'm trying to figure out why, like you already have a high powered offense. You've already seen what Fitzpatrick can do and what, what he has done. And I think the front office, as far as the coaching staff there in Miami was like, we have this high powered, lefty quarterback. And that's the other thing is I'm almost positive he's the only left-handed quarterback currently in the NFL right now. So it, it automatically gives their offense something different that other teams don't have. Right. And I, I, but ultimately, I think the defense is, to Holly's point, will keep them in the games. And I think that if you get into a situation where you're in the division, as we mentioned like week, the week before and the week, uh, last week and the week before, where this is, might be the sleeper team in the AFC East, given how bad uh, the Patriots played against the Jets yesterday. Oh, yeah, that game. Oh, man, I was pretty convinced that the Jets were going to get their first win of the season last night. I was pretty much banking on it. I mean, honestly, I was like, I, was like, I don't see the Patriots even coming, coming back. I was, like, I was like, there's no way this happens. And then I was, I watched, Cam Newton uh, Cam somehow gets the first and down and then to try to get a a playoff and he's almost on his knees and his hands. <laughs> I was like, what is this Patriots? Everybody was kind of scared that the Patriots are going to lose, but uh, Jets Nation was so happy that Flacco was, for about a quarter and a half. Flacco was playing like old Flacco. Yeah, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised to see that Flacco was playing to his, you know, his past ability, not so much overall, but from, from what we've seen, what, from what we've seen him from him in recent seasons, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see that Flacco could, you know, still had some left in the tank per se, um, which also now, you know, makes me wonder about Sam Darnold. You know what do you what do you do with Sam Darnold? Do you trade him? Do you give him another shot at the you know the starting position next season? Like you know what do you what do you do from here? Because he was also a first round draft pick. So you know he and you you got him with intentions of elevating your offense because of the kind of quarterback he is. Yet he's now in his third season, I believe, fourth season, and has not done that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the question will be, to your point, you know, big contract for one QB. You got the you know veteran co- quarterback there, uh, but New York's a mess. <laughs> you thought your Cowboys were a mess. New York's a mess, and I feel bad for their defense because their defense is pretty decent. Offensively, it's just anemic. Very much so. I don't think I don't think anemia explains the lack of fortitude the offense has at this point. There was a tweet, uh, Mac, 
You have Flacco Gore in the backfield on offense. That's got to tell you about, and they're on, and they're on the New York Jets. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> Your career is done. <laughs> You're on the Jets. Yeah, pretty much. That's yeah. You can yeah, you pretty much Flacco consider Gore. yourself a done. That's what somebody said, and they're on the Jets. Deal. Uh, so I feel bad for Frank Gore, I guess, if you want to say that, because uh, Frank Gore is pretty awesome running back back in his day when he was really true. Good. Um, so I'm um, let's get down to it here. Are the Ravens, are they really that bad or what do you think? Uh, they're just, they're just turnover happy. They're just, they gotta get, they get back on track, right? You know, against Indy, but. What I'm saying is they're not they haven't been playing their best ball and this division I mean your Cowboys almost take care of Pittsburgh. You still got Cincinnati, which is um uh, Burroughs playing pretty decent ball. You got uh, Mayfield and Cleveland. So if they don't wake up soon here, they could end up in the cellar. You know, Baltimore's an interesting one to me. And they always have been and I can't quite figure out why, you know, you get Lamar Jackson coming in off of a Heisman win and almost coming in, you know, almost being the first college player to, be, to have two Heismans back-to-back. So, you know, you come in with high expectations from him, and he produces for the first two, three years, and now going into his fourth season, I believe, it's kind of the same thing as Sam Darnold. But, but uh, Lamar Jackson is, I mean, he's still winning games, and he's still producing, but it's, it seems to be at a little bit lower um, efficiency rate, you know, and things he's making. It seems like he's making rookie mistakes right now as, as opposed to being a rookie and making those mistakes four years ago or four seasons ago, rather. Yeah, and the question is, is it the offensive line at this point that's not doing so hot, or is it the fact that the whole, you know, in general the team is just, you know, shooting themselves in the foot? That's a little bit of boils down to. I think that's what they're doing more, more so than anything. They're not being disciplined, so they're making turnover mistakes and giving opportunities to the other team. Um, Mac, what do we say of Carolina? Bridgewater almost takes down Mahomes. Almost. Pretty close game there. You know, this, this week seems to be the, the on-running theme of almost upsets. Quite literally, yep. Dallas almost upsets the Steelers. And... Now we have, you know, Teddy Bridgewater almost upsetting the Chiefs, and you 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 start to wonder what what else do does a team need to get over that almost hump? And I kind of think that's where the Panthers are sitting right now. You have you have parts, you know, you have you have Christian McCaffrey, who's to my in to my estimation is one of the best, if not the best, running back currently. In the NFL, I think the only person that probably beats him right now is Derrick Henry, um, who's also in a who, who's also been in that position of being on a team of you know almost doing this and almost doing that and almost having a winning, you know winning season and then past two years they they've now finally come over the almost hump and I think with the uh, with the the head coaching change over there. Um, uh, from uh, with a head coach from Baylor, um, I cannot remember his name right now. But uh, you know he gets he gets the head coaching position there. You you get traded as you know Teddy Bridgewater. You go from the team you're at back you know back over to the East Coast. 
in the in in Carolina, and you you know you already have a fire running back, and he's and to be honest, Christian McCaffrey's not even he's more or less a utility player because he runs the ball very well and catches and receives yards after you know after um, after the reception very well. So he's a dual threat, and he can throw. So you know if you if something happens and Teddy Bridgewater goes down, they can literally give the ball to Christian McCaffrey. And he's almost like um, a Taysom Hill, if you will. Um, I mean, a little bit shorter, but the the ability level over there that they have in Carolina is a lot like some of the teams that we're seeing that have success right now. So I think it's just a matter of what what are the missing parts that Carolina doesn't have to get them past that almost hump. I agree. I think they they got to get it together here. Uh, without the running back, they still got to be able to pull things out. Uh, almost getting that win against Kansas City. Uh, what does it say about Kansas City? Is are, are they just they're not taking these games so seriously at this point, or is everybody just kind of figuring them out now? I think it, it could be a little bit of both. I also think it could be a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover. You know, mm-hmm. you go uh, sixteen and zero, or 18, 18 and zero rather. And you know you win the entire you win the entire thing handily, blowing past you know blowing past everybody in their division, blowing past playoffs, you know divisional rounds, and then off to the Super Bowl, and then winning essentially winning the Super Bowl. It's 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 what people call the 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 Super Bowl slump. I think the Chiefs are experiencing that a little bit. They still have a winning record. They're still at the top of their division, but they're just not producing like they were last year. You know, their every almost every win they had last year was very electric and very fast paced. Very you couldn't. It was hard for a team to keep up with them. And now this year, they have I believe they have two losses now. One, and it was to a team that probably they probably shouldn't have lost to. In all honesty, and I think, like I said, I think it's just due to you know being the super, you know, being the world champions of the NFL. I mean, it happens. It happens to the, to the best of them. Um, are you going to be surprised if the Giants go back to back wins this week and really stand out? They, they beat Washington last week by three. They get Philly this week. Um, we talked about Jones kind of elevating their game. Engram played pretty well. Uh, offensively, they did they did play decent ball. I mean, it wasn't that great of a thing, but uh, they're two back to back wins here. That puts them in that mix. Maybe even in front runners in that bad division. As much as I would like to believe that the Giants would win a, another game, you know, back-to-back, something is telling me that's just not going to happen. And I and I can't say that it'll be because of play. I think it'll just be because the Eagles, when the Eagles are backed up into a corner, whether it's trying to keep the lead, you know, in the, in the division, trying to keep, you know, keep the lead, period. I think Carson, I think that's when Carson Wentz seems to shine more between him and, and Zach Ertz, when they're when that team gets backed into a corner, it's pretty much all cylinders. If one of them's hot, then the then the rest of the team is hot. If one of them's not, you know, they, they feed off a lot. They the team feeds off both of those guys a lot in terms of you know game production. But Danny Dimes, on the other hand, man, I hate the Giants, but Danny Dimes is he's a dude. You know, he's a young dude too. You know, and he's he's got all the tools himself as a quarterback alone to, you know, 
move his team into the talks of being the you know the leader in in our horrible division. I just for some reason I think that veteran experience from Ertz and Carson Wentz is going to edge them just a little bit. And it's not going to be a close margin. It's more than likely going to be those three points that the Giants beat Washington by. Yeah, I think, I mean, all the teams in this division are in that sense, you know, they, they're playing that type of ball where they're not going to, they're not going to score a lot of points. They're all going to be pretty much like you said to, you know, they're going to edge themselves out by a field goal or a touchdown at this point. That's how close they are in terms of matchups. Um, what do we say of Chicago? They're entering this this week. It's going to get really rough quarterback situation. The offensive line has got issues now, from what I read everywhere. And so uh, Nick Foles was supposed to be the answer. Trubisky off, but this five and one cushion could be literally uh, erased by a three game losing streak here. They lose uh, twenty four to seventeen to Tennessee, which wasn't a big gap, but they still lose. And now suddenly. They get, you know, the Vikings, who are just starting to get better here. And then Green Bay just bashed San Francisco. So it, it's going to be a division. Uh, next two weeks is a division game. So they got to either wake up or they're going to get to, what, five and three or five and four at this point? Oh, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Mm. You know, and this is a team I, I'm not even going to lie. I haven't quite been paying too much attention to just because I feel like the caliber of talent they have down there just hasn't been like electrifying and who knows that you know new new well some new coaching staff new definitely you know new players new starting quarterback with Nick Foles you know you kind of just at this point I kind of think if you're a, a Bears fan in general I think you just hope for positive um, you know positive efficiency as far as, you know, everything across the board, defensive, offensively, you know, special teams, you know, essentially getting those reps to gel together in a game and completely like all together to, you know, to win the game and decently. And I think that's, that's a problem in Chicago. I mean, it's a problem across the board in the NFL. I don't care how good you are. Nobody can seem to put together a perfect game, including the eight, no Steelers. So, I think at this point, if you're Chicago, you know, you just hope that the rest that you guys have been taking all season start to come together towards the end of the season if you still want to be, you know, be in talks of a playoff spot or a wild card spot. And I think that's what it's going to come down to is, you know, who Nick Foles is going to look to to get get the ball, you know, check downs, reads, all of that. And the same thing on defense is, you know, what's going to, what, what is Khalil Mack going to do? You know, or how is he going to do it? Him and Danny Trevathan, and you know what what what's going to happen? What's going to motivate them to essentially get over this hump? It's just like Carolina; they're, they're at this almost point, and they're almost over whatever hump it is. But we're still we're still sitting here at that almost point. So they're imploding, is what I'm. My point was they're imploding, and they got two division uh, opponents coming up, so they could really. Uh, at this point, this, that 5-1 and one start is going to go away really quickly. So I, I'm assuming all Bear fans are just griping right now, but given the fact that you're, you were supposed to have Nick Foles the savior, and it's not working out for whatever reason. Offensively, I think the offensive line is really the issue there as well. So they got issues there. Um, are we looking forward to Josh Allen versus Kyle Murray this week? 
yeah, I think you kind of have to be excited, whether you're a Kyler Murray fan or whether you're a Josh Allen fan or whether you're just a fan of football in general, because the both the both of them play against each other and knowing, you know, what backgrounds they came from as far as schooling and, and quarterback system, I think you have to yeah I think you have to consider this more or less a shootout. Um, it's, it's gonna be it's gonna be fireworks. I, I mean I don't really have much to say on this game because. It, like I said, it's, it's going to be fireworks either way, whether Kyler has a super great game and just slices and dices his defense or whether Josh Allen decides that, you know, he's just going to pick apart the secondary of Arizona. It just, you know, you can't really pick at this point unless you're, you know, a fan, a specific fan of either one of their teams. Must win for Arizona or must win for Buffalo? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go must win for Buffalo because Kyler Murray has been able to prove what he can do with very little. And now that he has, you know, that now that he has the arsenal that he has uh, down there in Arizona, I think, I don't think he's going to have a problem keeping on track. I think it's going to be Josh Allen and the consistency of, you know, getting to his receivers you know, getting the first downs, you know, conversions, things of that nature. So, and but like we say every week, you know, football changes every week, literally. I think Buffalo, I would say, needs to win this one to really put themselves right there and say we are the best in the in the division because everybody else below them is uh, besides Miami coming up, up and coming. Everybody else below them, the Jets are are, are kind of not great at all, and then. Uh, New England just showed that they're not that great either offensively at this point. They're having problems. So Buffalo could really go to 8-2 and two at this point and really put themselves as front runners, even in the AFC playoff picture right next to Kansas City, right next to Steelers in that sense. Arizona, if they lose, they go 5-4. and four. The whole NFC West is going to shift because the Rams take on Seattle. That's a must win for both teams. Seattle coming off that loss and then the Rams coming off the previous uh, weekend's loss after the bye. So I think it's a must-win for Art, for my team, more so than Seattle. Seattle 6-2, and two, they can afford to go to 6-3. and three. We cannot afford to drop to 5-4 and four because then it's more of a seller mentality for us, uh, you know, going towards the seller. Um, Mac, interested, excited, Herbert, Tua. We got Allen, Murray, and we're going to get Herbert, Tua. Everybody's saying probably the best quarterback, uh, the best quarterback at, from a, for a one and six start. The kid's played really good ball since he started, and unfortunately he's, at, he's, about, he's been at the uh, the end with L's, but he's been competitive every game. So if he beats Tua, uh, maybe that's going to change. But uh, Miami defense pretty tough. Chargers, uh, I don't see them really overcoming that type of pressure, but. This kid's getting banged up every week, and he's still standing. Oh, you know, Justin, Justin Herbert and, and Tua T both come from the same draft class. Like, literally both just got drafted into the NFL for 2020. You know, Tua, Tua's a national champion in college. Two times now. But Justin Herbert, who's been electrifying – Literally, since the day he got to Oregon, and he's also six foot six. First of all, he's huge. There's no, I, 
anybody that doesn't know football would never think that Justin Herbert is a quarterback. And he's a damn good quarterback. I mean, in all honesty, regardless of any college accolades, this is this matchup is pretty damn equal. My only problem is kind of what you said about, you know, Justin getting getting banged up and, you know, sacked and, you know, just the the normal ins and outs of of an NFL quarterback as a rookie. And the fact that the Chargers, for whatever reason, get rid of Desmond King. Desmond King is one of the best defensive backs in NFL. And period. He has he's been one of the best defensive backs in football since he went to the University of Iowa. Okay. And you get rid of him for a sixth round draft pick in like like one point five million dollars or something in like cap space to and you trade they the Chargers trade Desmond King to the Tennessee Titans. And his first in, in Desmond's first game as a Tennessee Titan, it ain't even been there you know, a day or two, picks up scoops his course for six after being traded and then you turn around and look at all the defensive flaws now that the Chargers have because they they now don't have their you know, their number one lockdown defender with Desmond King and you now have you, you now have shot yourself in the foot defensively for whatever reason. <laughs> I mean, I, how do you how do you it's almost like you, you don't recover from something like that until, like, next season. I mean, and I could be wrong, but, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, Oscar. Like, you get rid of the, right. the, the number one defender on your team for, and have been since he got drafted there, and then you trade him for a sixth-round draft pick. First of all, the fact that they've traded him for a sixth-round draft pick to Tennessee, like, sixth round, that's so disrespectful. And not even just because that – not even just because Desmond went to the University of Iowa because I know there's going to be people that are like, oh, you're biased. No. If you watch football and you know the sport, you know why he's one of the most highly regarded defensive players in the NFL, period. The fact that, that they trade him and you now, you now have different, more defensive troubles because you don't, have, you don't have a lockdown corner anymore. Right. I, I, I agree. I think they, they missed out on that and they gave it up, and Tennessee's going to take advantage of it. And L.A., like I said, I don't think L.A. can stay with Miami. Miami's been very hot. Uh, even Holly said, you know, that we might have to give the coach of the year to Flores because if he does keep it up here, they get this win and they're six and three right behind uh, Buffalo with seven and two right now. And they would be eight and two. So they would be second place in the division. Um, so it's going to be interesting game. So We have, we have uh, Allen versus Murray. We have uh, Brady versus Brid- Bridgewater. Uh, doesn't sound good, but anyways, uh, Herbert versus Tua. And then you have Goff against Wilson, and then Carr against, uh, I think, what's his name, Locke in Denver. Um, we have Burrow taking on Roethlisberger. So really big weekend here. Foles uh, against uh, Cousins, I guess. That's the other matchup that we have this weekend. Um, so let's go Thursday night. Who do we? Who do, takes the win Thursday night, Mac? Um, Henry and company taking on the Indianapolis uh, Colts led by Phillip Rivers. Mm. And I knew you were going to ask me this. You know, Philip Rivers is a, seems to be a different quarterback now that he's with the Indianapolis Colts, and it's a good thing. Like it, it's a positive change for him. You know, he's been an Iron Man quarterback, and I and to be honest, he's been one of the best quarterbacks to never make a playoff game. With that being said, 
You're taking Tennessee Tannehill Titans and company? Or something else. Yeah, I have to. Like, I just, I don't see anybody on so It's going to be a close game. Defense. I think it's going to be closer Dumping. than we think. I think it's closer than we think. I mean, the, the two, they match up pretty well. So, um, you know, Indianapolis, they match up pretty well. I think uh, on the running game, I'll give the Tennessee the edge. But I think on the on the offensive side, I think Indianapolis has the edge. You know, and and that's that's and that, that's the dilemma is, you know, they are very evenly matched. And I think, like I said, if I have to if I have to pick and and stick with my pick now, I'm going to take Tennessee by ten, just because anybody that's anybody who knows Derrick Henry knows that man is hard to stop and bring down. He's hard to stop in his tracks. We all remember the stiff arm that he, you know, that he gave the Bills a couple weeks ago, and there's memes all over about it. I just think, I just think that Derrick Henry's running ability and feel, and just overall football knowledge just <laughs> doesn't compare to anything else that anybody has ever seen before. And that's why he, I think he's been so electric for so long, and now that, now that Tennessee has all the parts that they needed for a while to get over that almost hump, and now that they are a force to be reckoned with, I just I don't see anybody getting in their way anymore. I just I don't. But I'm I'm taking Tennessee by. In fact, actually, I'm gonna take Tennessee by three because that's how I, I think I'm, how, I'm, that's how close I think it's gonna I'm be. I'm gonna take the Titans as well. I think the, they have it and and they're gonna edge them. I mean, it'll be close, but I think Tennessee will probably win on it. Uh, we have Lamar Jackson taking on Cam Newton Sunday night. Uh, one team is. Still in the mix, the other team is going south quickly. And Bill Belichick didn't I don't think he thought he would be at the, in this place at the beginning of the season. I don't think anybody thought Bill Belichick would be in this position at the beginning of the season, especially because of what Cam Newton has known to be as a quarterback and athlete. And I think people thought that his athleticism and player ability with Kit within Cam Newton would have meshed very well with Bill Belichick and his, and the way he runs his offense. And that just hasn't quite been a thing this season, you know, and, and people have been wondering why, whether or not you're a Cam Newton fan off the field or on the field, or whether or not you're a Bill Belichick fan on or off the field, there's definitely some chemistry mishap there. And I think whatever it is, is a good portion of the reason why they haven't been producing. Like we all know the Patriots to do. Uh, so, do we take Baltimore for the win, or is New England going to surprise us? I think we have to. No, you know I think we have to take Baltimore. Baltimore is is is, <laughs> is mountains more put together than than the Patriots at this point, and that's that's not anybody's fault. It's just it's what happens when you per, when you change personnel. That's what happens when you yeah. get when you when the goat leaves your the goat and the and one of the goats of tight end leaves your team. One comes out of retirement to go back and play for you know with Tom Brady down in a new team you know down in in Tampa Bay, and then you essentially you know the Panthers trade Cam Newton to Bill Belichick's Patriots, but you don't have the same production of offense. You also don't have the same weapons as. Tom Brady did when he was there, so you kind of have to you kind of have to see which one is more put together. And at this point, it's the Ravens. So that's what that's going to be Week Ten, uh, Thursday night. The Colts taking on the Titans. 
Sunday night, the Ravens taking on the Patriots. Monday night, NFC North, crucial, uh, crucial must-win for Chicago here uh, after this. Uh, they're just starting to implode here. Uh, the Vikings on an upswing here. So Monday night, Minnesota taking on Chicago. We'll see how that pans out. Um, so crucial games coming up here, in, including some of the big marquee matchups. Uh, like I said, Goff against Wilson. You got um, Allen versus Murray, uh, Herbert versus Tua. Um, what do you have also? Uh, Brady versus Bridgewater, Burrow versus Roethlisberger. So a lot of action still happening there. If you haven't uh, tuned in to us or you haven't subscribed to us, uh, I don't know where you're at, but you can always uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, iHeart. You can also go to Spotify. Thanks for bumping us up on Spotify. I really appreciate it. Always right here at the flagship station of Block Talk Radio. You can also uh, link us up on globalwomensportsradio.com, uh, Player FM, Google Cast, and TuneIn. Uh, if you uh, can't tune in when we're on, we are on replays everywhere, so you can listen to the Salty One, Famer, Holly Custis, as well as the uh, ex-league insider, uh, Nate Ward, and myself, always on your dime and your time, and that'll be on iHeart, Apple, or Spotify. So you can always listen and tune in uh, on the podcast. Um if you haven't uh, figured it out, uh, monkeyknifefight.com is our sponsor. Check it out. You can go to monkeyknifefight.com today, uh, get 100% match up to $50 to place a bet there. You've got NFL stuff that's happening there. NFL players own monkeyknifefight.com now as partners. And so you can use our code NJF, our code NJF, and you get a 100% match on a $50 deposit or up to a $10 minimum deposit. So check it out, monkeyknife5.com. Use code NJF. All right, uh, Mac, we have some sad news to report. Unfortunately, if you were at the Hub, you pretty much got the news ahead of time before this broadcast. Uh, unfortunately, uh, talented coach uh, Jim Thorpe uh, passed away this, uh, this week. Uh, legendary WFA Chicago Force uh, coach, one of the uh, probably integral parts in the Chicago Force, a you know force to be reckoned with in the WFA weekend, I mean, uh, year in, year out, in the playoff mode. Um, those battles against Boston, D.C., battles against uh, all the other uh, formidable teams, Pittsburgh and things like that. So uh, our condolences to his family. Jim Thorpe passes away this week. Uh, check it out at the hub right there. Tracy Brick is the one that announced that to us. Um, so legendary coach Jim Thorpe of the legendary team, the Chicago Force of the WFA, passes away. Yeah, you know, my my uh, my thoughts and condolences go out to every former player of his, every former associate, friends and family of of the Thorps. You know that when I saw that, I was very, I was heartbroken, and I didn't even get a chance to play, you know, play with anybody on that team. But being being a you know being an 11 year veteran and, and knowing the kind of team that the Chicago Force was, and you know what kind of impact he had. I was just like, oh man, like I can't even, I can't even, I couldn't even fathom it. I still can't. It just, it doesn't seem real. Uh, But, you know, I just want to put, you know, put my, put myself out there. If there's anybody out there, you know, who is grieving, feel free to hit me up. Feel free to contact me. I'm always here to talk because, you know, death of, of a, of a beloved one, whether direct relation, you know, coach, parent, friend of family is, is hard. So I know I encourage anybody you know, to reach out to me if, you know, if they're, you know, just having problems processing it. 
So uh, Chicago Forge, one of the staple franchises in uh, Women's Football Alliance since the beginning of the Women's Football Alliance, uh, kick-ass organization right next to the Boston Renegades and the D.C. Divas. So um, in terms of history and everything else, so, uh, Jim Thorpe, contributor to that legacy of the Chicago Force. All right, um, Mac, uh, we got action in Queensland, and DECA against Aces 2. We'll get results there. This, uh, this last weekend was November 7th. We're still looking for some photos and things like that. They're going to ship us out to us. Uh, our next game is November 14th, Aces versus Hendeka, and this is the 11th uh, season for Queensland. Normally they would, they would have played nine, but they play 11s this year because they really want to get the Australian national team and the, ready for the IFAB championships in 2022 to compete on the world stage. So check it out there uh, at the hub. The other actions happening in Green Island, New South Wales. Week five, it was Sydney Lions uh, lose 12 to zero to the Central Coast Sharks. Uh, Ali Kamali, our Nordic football athlete, shout out to her out there. Uh, UTS drops 42 to six to the UNSW Raiders. Um, shout out to Shiloh Phillips and Renee Hahn, our Nordic football athletes over in New South Wales as well. Coming up week six, we have Sydney Lions trying to redeem themselves against the Nor- the champions, the North Sydney Rebels. Then you got UTS taking on CC Sharks. Sharks looking for a really good uh, another back-to-back uh, win here, going to two weeks in a row. Uh, we have 12 weeks in the season in New South Wales, so we'll be going deep late November, January, uh, December, and January. So uh, Mac, we don't we got until like January 23rd, and, uh, and it's going to be a battle between now and then. And the Raiders uh, currently own this uh, good matchup in, in about six weeks in. Oh, I always love this time of year. It seems to me there's there's so much football across the seas, you know, with women than there is in the states here. But that's because our you know the states don't start till till as far as spring. They don't start till spring. The, uh, the international leagues always interest me though because it's either one week it's you know super close with scores, and then the next week it's a bunch of blowouts. It just it just goes to show you that you know they play they play competitive and quality football over there, and I think that's the thing with the the Queensland and international leagues is people are so used to seeing and hearing you know what we're doing over here in the states that they're doing the exact same thing and sometimes even better across the country. So I just especially when you said forty two to six, I was like last week they were just in a nail biter and now they've blown out another team. I'm just, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me, Oscar, you know, I just, I love it though. I can't even lie. New South Wales. We're going to be in Australia between now and January. Nowhere, nowhere else in the globe is women's tackle football right now. Currently Europe's done. Uh, we don't have, obviously because of COVID, we don't have the States and we did have some IWFA action, obviously in the States, but we're going to be in Australia all the way, through January. And then WA, we can't forget, Western Australia action started last week, week one, Rottingham Vipers, 44-0 over the West Coast Wolverines. It was Perth Broncos, 34-18 over Curtin Saints. Uh, week two action at the Hub. You can check it out right now. Really appreciate everybody networking with us there. Um, it was Perth 26-22, a real heart battle set there against Curtin Saints. Perth Broncos against Curtin Saints. Vipers, blowout uh, Swan, uh, Swan City Titans. So two weeks in a row here, Rottenham just killing it, Mac, 52 and 44 
Uh, it looks to me like they're going to be on track here. They get a bye week this week. And week three coming up here, Broncos will take on Perth Blitz, the battle for Perth, the city of Perth. Broncos, Perth Blitz, and we at West Coast Wolverines taking on Curtin Saints. So really good, exciting action coming up here in West Australia. Oh, I love me some West Australia. Oh, man. Like I said, that and, and that's, that's the league that literally has, has the blowouts most weeks we come on. And I can't even be mad about it because the games start out so, you know, so close, neck and neck, pretty even. And then one team just decides, you know, we're just, you know, we're not going to have this. It's going to be long balls all day, mid-range all day, running game all day. And then the the thing about it is the defenses come up so big and so quickly too. It's almost, it's almost like a night and day, but not so much. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you start off the game, you know, trading off fourth downs back and forth, back and forth, and then somebody gets a score and they keep running with the score. It's almost like the score, like scoring the first touchdown of the game and of the season in, in this instance is what drives them to keep going. You know, we don't want anybody to catch up to us. So we're just going to keep, you know, shoving it down your throat or, you know, passing right over the top of you. And I think if, you know, if people are really watching, you know, watching the hub and watching the game as, you know, we do and come on every week, people realize like there's real, there's literally real football being played. So to me, and even being an athlete, you know, an athlete and a player myself, I still get amazed at some of the stuff that happens across the, you know, across the seed with, with the game. And I'm like, this is just, <laughs> this is wild. And the fact that this is now the third, the third year that we've been in Australia for football to start, you know, the new calendar year of, of women's football. So it's always good to see how they've grown into now. Because when we started this, they only had a, you know a couple games going into December, and then the year after, it was a couple more games into the end of December. Now it's going towards the end of January with with this you know Western Australia League. So you're just like, you know, the games elevated, their games elevated, the teams are pushing you know better. So it's just, oh, I just I love it. I really do. And so we're we're gonna be there till January. So. Everything that happens in Aussie land, we got it covered at the hub, facebook.com forward slash Gridiron Beauties. Uh, check out some of the features that we have at the hub, uh, spring league uh, features uh, with Katarina Bianchardi. And we also have um, a nice feature on the LFL dynasties coming up here, the three teams, Temptation, Bliss, and Seattle Miss. So look out for that. Uh, the shoot, uh, photo shoot done by the Minnesota Vixen. So check it out by John Olson at the Hub. Really awesome shoot done by the WFA Minnesota Vixen photo shoot by John Olson. We also have some stuff he- heading there. Week two action in Gridiron West, as we talked about here. Uh, we had a feature of uh, the snake, Ashley Salerno. Highlights from 2009 there as well. Uh, we also have a business wire, uh, Jen Welter, partnership with the Hall of Fame Resort and Entertainment Company. Uh, we also feature Adrian Smith. Uh, Blitz Champs feature there as well. And congratulations to Hermania uh, Hall. She is now uh, the first female coach at Fullerton, Fullerton High School in California, tight ends coach. She will also be playing for the WFLA LA Fames in 2021. And, of course, you can check out Max, Nebraska Nighthawks, the tryouts from this past weekend. So pretty cool weekend for you guys. Oh, I missed my team so much. Oh. I mean, and just, you know, with this being a COVID year for everything, uh, I'm kind of mad that we're referring to everything 
as a COVID year, but it's literally the cause of us not being able to play sports traditionally, and some of us not being able to have the season. WF, you know, WSA, WNFC, not being able to have full out regular seasons like we're used to. So, being able to be in that atmosphere again, and you know, start to lock and load and get ready for 2021. New coaching staff, a bunch of new new women coming out to play. You know, the old, you know, my old teammates, teammates I haven't seen in a couple years. You know, came, came to try out. So this season for, for women's ball in the States is going to be electric. I mean, we have all been waiting to come back to play. We've all been waiting to, you know, come back and start hitting pads. So, and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of different players, different teams, different leagues that everybody needs to look out for. So I just, I'm pumped, Oscar. You know, you know, tryouts get me excited, man. And I was, I felt really good. And it felt good to see that my, you know, that my teammates, you know, because I can only speak for my team and, you know, what I see, uh, you know, from them on a weekly, daily basis kind of thing. It feels good to know that, you know, we've all been pushing and, and working hard to make sure we're still in decent shape for, for tryouts and now, um, you know, getting ready for practices and starting everything. So I'm, I'm pumped, Oscar. I'm ready to go. Well, if you love what you what you hear, you can always go to the hub at facebook.com for us. Stay in the know. Everything happens in the sport at the hub. The best network on the planet resides at the hub at facebook.com for us. And if you guys missed any of our podcasts, you can go back 60 days, check it out. Uh, we got Tishay Winfrey, episode 337. We had uh, Coach Devin Jones, episode 336. Uh, Terrence Haywood, uh, episode 334. Chris Sacco, episode 332. We had also uh, Barry Learman, 328, with Angelica Grayson, uh, the talented uh, Wynn Domini of giving us a little lowdown on the WFA, episode 330. All at your disposal, and you can get it right there on iHeart, Spotify, or Apple, and you can listen to Mac anytime you want. So, Mac, um, we're good. We're out of here. Thanks for listening to us today. A shout-out to everybody out there that's uh, sharing our podcast and for the Option Holly Custis and uh, Nate Ward and for Mackenzie Brooks here, Oscar Lopez saying we'll catch you here for 347. Have a great night, everybody.